So I had a cool intro, and it involved Zach Tiber, and then I texted him today, and he said he wasn't going to be in Pittsburgh. So my new intro is this. Um, I'm nervous. Just going to get that out there. My heart, if I was wearing a tight shirt, you could see it like pumping out of my chest. And I've spoke at like a lot of safety meetings and like 300 people. And, and there's nothing like being in front of a group of people who love the Lord and love his word. And um, hoping that you don't mess up what you want to relay to everybody. So um, for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, so that's my intro. Welcome to the well. Um, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I want to do a little bit of a review, but uh, first I just want to give a little bit of a personal experience. Um, Timothy, the books one and two are, have been instrumental in my own life. Um, and so as we're going through the series, I'm super excited. I would encourage you guys and girls to, to read it as we're going through it because they are really practical books when it comes to our walk with the Lord and our personal ministry and group ministry as well. Um, Paul knew what he's talking about, obviously. That's why we're looking at it and, and um, teaching on it. And, uh, and Timothy, man, he's just a stud. So um, let's, just, let's just get what we can out of the summer and the group settings and the structures of it. It's going to be awesome, I think. Um, so I'm excited about that. But they truly are books for myself that... Uh, let me find my place that um, I know them as books that, can go, that I can go for, for encouragement. I can go to see God's will for a young believer in the faith, which we all are, um, hopefully, you know, if you place your faith in Christ. And I can go to them to see what Paul was reminding Timothy to pursue and guard against in his ministry, which is an example for each one of us as well. Um, so to recap what Zach talked about last week, he encouraged us to check out our motivation, examine whether or not we have our heart, our head, and our hop right. Um, and, and, and all of that, the foundation of charity kind of motivating us along the way. We need to get this. After all, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, and this also is, is, uh, it can translate to our actions as well. I think as we get older, hopefully you realize that it's not just out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, but out of the abundance of the heart that people see your motivation for why you live life. And, and we want that to be for Christ. So I just want to remind us of uh, how Paul recalls Timothy's hop, you know, what Zach called it, um, in 2 Timothy 1.5. And he says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. So this unfaith faith, faith that Paul speaks of is, is really awesome, and that's super deep, and we'll get into a little bit of that. Paul was able to say this to Timothy because he had witnessed the mind of Christ continually transforming the way Timothy lived he, here on earth. And rest assured, we indeed have the mind of Christ. See, for example, 1 Corinthians 2.16, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Paul transitions from the foundation of charity in verse 5 to, to 1 Timothy 1, 6, and 7 by speaking really of the human nature tendency to slowly fit acts of charity, and, if you will, into boxes. Human nature says, Let, let's compare each other's works. Let's perfect and create a black and white standard. Let's turn it into law and teach that. So imagine, you know, you get a bunch of people, they start analyzing how they're living every day out of the motivation of charity and the Holy Spirit, and all, all of a sudden they want to start 
put into boxes and, and we do it just as much as the next person and all of a sudden you have legalism and it's, it's born into that and, it, and it's human nature just to do that. <clears throat> and this is a dangerous game. I find it fascinating how, Paul, how quickly Paul um, jumps up and clears the air on the, law, on the law's place. And that brings us to uh, our message today and in our passage, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. So let's go ahead and jump in. If you would um, turn there, I think I should have asked you to do that earlier and I didn't, so I'll give you a little bit of time. But he said, and he says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to um, reveal his word to us tonight. Father God, I love you. And I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. I'm humbled um, just to be um, here and, and looking at your word with this great group of people. Um, Lord, I'm so thankful for what you've taught me in it, and I pray that we'd each consider our, our, um, our ministry and, and how the law translates in that and uh, just how we're living our lives each day um, in pursuit of you. Lord, we love you, and um, it's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so our first point, our motivation for using the law. Before we go too far, I think it must be said that these verses are chock full, so we're not even going to really get to scratch the surface on a lot of this stuff, um, but I'm going to try to, my best to share with you some of the th things that I learned as I was studying it. Or, as we get into 1 Timothy uh, 1.8, keep in mind Paul just challenged those who desire to preach the law but cannot seem to do it without twisting the message. Let's read verse 8 again. But we know that the law is good if, and that's conditional, a man use it lawfully, so what does this mean? What does it mean to, to use the law lawfully? So I want to look at a couple of different uh, aspects of this. Um, one, go ahead and turn to Matthew 12, 9 through, uh, go ahead and turn to Matthew 12. Um, because I want to look at a, a use of the word lawful. And I think it's worth mentioning that while, uh, or just before this, in verses 1 through 8, the Pharisees were, for whatever reason, out watching Jesus' disciples in the field, and, and the Pharisees challenged Jesus, you know, that why he's letting his disciples pick food and eat it on the Sabbath day. And um, I can just imagine them, you know, out there in the field, like, hey, hey, yo, Jesus, you know, hey, uh, don't you know that, like, way a long time ago, God told Moses to, you know, he, that he send down manna, but you couldn't pick it? on the Sabbath that had to be the day before, and, and just really kind of had really hard hearts and just trying to challenge this, this guy who, you know, was just living a humble life. Let me find my place. There we go. Okay, so the Pharisees is hard in their, hard in their heart, and, and this is where I want you to start considering the, the motivation behind um, the way we use the law. So let's read. And verse 9 it says, And when he was part of thence, he went into their synagogues. So this is pretty crazy too. Like Jesus had just schooled these guys, and then he goes into their synagogues that they, they're leaders of. Um, and behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful, there's that word, to heal on the Sabbath days, that they might accuse him? 
So check that out. They already had the motivation to accuse him. And he said unto them, What man shall there be among you, and this is Jesus speaking, that shall have one sheep, and if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it out? How much, more, how much then is a man better than a sheep? Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. To do, to do, and, then, and then kind of moving forward a little bit, because this was before Jesus would have died on the cross, but um, you know, once, we, we ha, we, once we enter the dispensa- dispensation of grace, sorry, I'm going, trying to go through too fast. Um, it reminds me of Galatians 5, 1 through 6. It says, Stand fast, be, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ neither circumcision, neither circumcision it faileth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And with that in mind, we should also allow our hearts to be measured. So, um, coming off of that, you know, but faith which worketh by love, and that, and that being the outcry of our heart, uh, we also should have measured response and understand how, when we're looking at the law, how we should use that each and every day in our lives. So, go to, um, if you would, to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6. So in verse 12, it says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So when we, when, when we consider what we just read in um, uh, about... Oh, shoot. Lost my place again. Sorry, Corey. Yeah, if we, back in Galatians, um, what we read about faith which worketh by love. And then we go to, we have liberty in Christ, and then we start considering, okay, what are our actions each day? How are we living? And, and Paul here is saying that he's, he's, considering how, he's considering his actions in, in the uh, context of, are they edifying? Are they exhorting other people? Um, are they expedient? I really lost my place. There we go. Jeff? So finally, in First in First Timothy one eight, notice the semicolon at the end of the verse, at, at the end of verse eight, in relation to where the next semicolon is in the in this set of verses. I want you to hold on to that thought for later as we tie this whole thing together. So this leads us to our next blank. Clever, huh? Our movement that comes by the law. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. Okay, so verse 9, knowing this, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, 
for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and mur murders of fathers and murders of mothers, manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. After reading this, I think we must ask ourselves this question: Does the law have a place in my life? Um, and I and I and I say that because I think a lot of times we come to the law and, and we we read about it and, and we're like, no, we have liberty in Christ, so we don't even have to look at the law or consider, you know, is it even a moral standard for myself? And so that's the question: Is does the law have a place in my life? So self-evaluation: We always need to consider ourselves before pointing the finger at, at others. And certainly the law can be used as a moral, standard, a moral standard for ourselves. It doesn't have to be some legalistic standard that you have to check these boxes and, and um, am I doing this right, am I doing that right, and compare and contrast and those kind of things. You know, obviously, like we talked last week, charity is the foundation and we need to start there with a, through, the through the motivation of the Holy Spirit. Um, but it is something that God's put, you know, the Ten Commandments into place that um, we can go to and look and see God's heart in that. Let's take a look at a, um, a few on the list. So if we go back to verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. So a righteous man is somebody who's living by the motivation of the Holy Spirit. And, um, and he's obviously living in charity because that's the end, end of the law. But for the lawless, and so those are those who don't have the law, and disobedient, pretty self-explanatory, for ungodly, not godlike characteristics, not godlike actions, not godlike, not godlike motivations, lifestyles, etc., uh, for sinners, so in, in MTT, we learn about, the, uh, learn about adding to your faith virtue. And, um, and virtue is just doing what you know to do. Well, a sinner is doing what he knows not, he, he's doing what he knows to do, but not, right? He's doing what he knows not to do. You get what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Thanks. For unholy, so you refuse the your conscience or the Holy Spirit. You're hearing what God has to say, but you're unholy because you're not acting on that, or you're not you're not you're not changing your life to conform to that. Profane, we think profanity, perverse, secular, worldly. For murders of fathers and murders of mothers. So I want to park here for a second, because I think it's important um, to understand. Uh, if you would go ahead to uh, go to Proverbs one. And verse 8 says, My son, hear the instruction of my father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. So when I started reading that, you know, that's pretty harsh to say murders of fathers and murders of mo mothers, and even manslayers. But, you know, Jesus had, had some pretty profound things to say when he talked about um, adultery and, and, and also about um, being bitter towards people and said that you're, slaying, you're, you're committing um, adultery in your heart already, you're, you're, you're um, killing them already in your heart, and it was just having bad thoughts towards, towards people. And, and this made me think of this, because um, my challenge really here is to those who, who God has afforded the opportunity to live under godly or even morally decent parents or elderly authorities. How are you living your life right now that's respectful to them? How are you living your life right now that's considerate of them? Um, are you gleaning in wisdom for them? Or, I mean, let's ask ourselves, um, I need to stop doing this. I keep wanting to skip ahead. There we go. Um, yeah, let's ask ourselves, are you uplifting and living according to what they taught you, or are you murdering them through your actions already? Perjured persons. Um, is that, that's not the next one. So we have whoremongers um, in verse 10, back to, back to 1 Timothy 
one. Um, a monger is a dealer or a trader, a whore, well, you get the picture. For them that defile themselves with mankind, I'm not even going to get into that, that's crazy. Um, for men stealers, and for those of you who know the joke, it's not a kid who's napping. For liars, thou shalt not, God says in his law, thou shalt not lie. For perjured persons, um, for fake, a copycat, or a con. So I want to look at this one real quick. I'd ask you, who are you outside of church? I think we all should consider this because when, you, when I thought of perjured person, I was like, man, that hits hard because something that I've learned recently is something that I've been convicted of re recently is pride. And I, I, it's weird how it works, but it's like I didn't think I had so much pride in my life, which is just prideful to say in general, right? Um, so are you living as someone else outside of church? This is especially easy in the age we live in with technology where you can just post everything that's good and nobody else sees what's bad in your life. And they also don't see how you're living every day and, and what you're doing by, when you're by yourself. But God does. Are you perjured or are you true? That's the question. So in the vein of self-assessment, self um, you know, going along with that same train of thought, I just want to remind us of Hebrews 12.6. It says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So be encouraged. I'm not trying to beat anybody up here. I'm just trying to, to, to get us all to consider you know, where the law has a place in our lives. And, and truthfully, um, God loves those who he, who, who he chastens. So if he's working on your heart, you know, through tonight or some other aspect of, of a message you heard previously or something a friend said to you, let's act on that. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you and convicting you. Amen. All right, so the next thing, gospel witness evaluation. Let's look at that. Uh, go to Romans 7, verse, uh, go to Romans 7, and then we'll go to the verse. Okay, verse 4. I guess I have a cool little stand right there. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were already by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. And then verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. I want you to get that. For I had not known lust except the, lo except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. Um, a lot of us have heard this before, but the law is a tool for us to have gospel conversation gospel-centered conversations with others. Um, only, and what he's saying here is, is he, he would have only known that he's a sinner by the standard that God had put in place and knowing that he couldn't ever live up to that. And so he knew he needed a Savior. He knew he needed um, something to fill that hole. That way he wasn't in, going in and out every day um, battling with this thing of, you know, am I going to heaven? Am I not? Am I, you know, whatever that looks like um, for, for us on a personal level. Um, and please remember the importance of living this out each day. 2 Timothy, two, uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2 states, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, reprove, rebuke, resort. Exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So that brings us to verse 11 um, to wrap this up. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I think that's so cool. Timothy, or Paul's like, which was committed to my trust. And I, and I, Maybe reading into a little bit, I don't know, but I think he's also saying, Timothy, this is also committed to your trust. And for all of us in the room who are following that example, um, 
you know, this is committed to our trust. So going back to the semicolon that we looked at in verse 8, um, at, the, at the end of verse 8, look at where the last semicolon is um, in verse 10. And consequently, the list Paul goes through ends. These are a series of independent clauses. Grammatically, this is pretty significant, and honestly, I didn't take the time to like try to break this all down and look at it all and all that stuff. But um, it's I think it's it's pretty um, it's pretty unique that there's a there's a series of independent clauses that that Paul talks on that here's the things that the law applies to, but then he says according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. So if you look at um, if you look at verse eight, which I'm nowhere near verse eight, so maybe we can look at it. Maybe we can't. Here we go. If you look at verse 8, it says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And then, and then if, we, if we don't look at the independent clauses, which we should, but I'm not saying take them out. I'm just saying um, go from semicolon to semicolon, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Of, yeah, of the blessed God. So I think Paul is driving home the point there that, that our motivation needs to be uh, gospel-focused. All right, so um, in closing, go to, go to Luke 24, 45 through 48. Then he opened, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, thus it is written and thus it is behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witness for these things. Let's consider the gospel committed to our trust tonight, and live righteously while sharing boldly. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you for the clearness of it, and, uh, and even um, though I stumbled through it, I pray that you just um, be working on each one of our hearts here, and, uh, and God just... Allow us to see how this should affect our ministry. Lord, I pray that if anyone's here who, who isn't saved and isn't quite sure um, what, what the gospel is, Lord, that they'd be bold enough to talk to somebody, um, and Lord, that we could um, just see them saved, Lord, and that they wouldn't leave this place um, without, without um, p- placing their faith in you. Lord, thank you again for your love, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.